Well, I'd like you to open your Bibles, please, at um, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 8, page 671. And we're going to talk about, the title is, Enjoy and Be Satisfied. Life is like a box of chocolates, said Forrest Gump. But I think, I think life is much more like a cream tea. You see, I love cream teas. And when I'm on holiday, I often have one. But there is a massive problem with cream tea. You see, some places don't give you enough. <laughs> they give you a tiny little scone, or scone, depending on where you are. And then they give you hardly enough cream even to put it on one side of the scone. Gone. And then a bit of jam on it, and you're totally dissatisfied. But you know there are other places. <laughs> they do give you enough. Oh, they give you a decent scone. And you can put lots of cream on and strawberry jam. It's great. And then you feel sick. <laughs> and you say, I shouldn't have eaten all that. You see, you can't win. Either way, you're dissatisfied. I once found a music book of songs that were sung shortly after the First World War, definitely before the Second World War, and they were quite funny. There was one called, I Wish I Was Single Again. <laughs> it was very funny. The first verse, it was all, I want to get married. The second verse was, I want to be single again. The third verse, he wants to be married again. <laughs> and the fourth verse, he wants to be single again, never satisfied, like the dog, you know, that wants to go outside the door, and as soon as it's outside the door, it wants to come back in again, never satisfied. Now, you think, you think if you won the lottery, there's no way you wouldn't be satisfied. But you know what? The average person in Somalia tonight firmly believes that if they had one quarter of what you've got, there's no way on earth they couldn't be totally satisfied. If he had a quarter of what you've got, water in your house, education, food to eat every day, stable government, medical help, how could anyone not be satisfied with all that? And the answer is, because those things don't satisfy. We live in a world where people lack satisfaction. Michael Caine has spoke very openly about the lack of satisfaction in Hollywood. And Solomon tells us, not only that this is true, but he tells us the way forward. And here this evening, as we get to uh, chapter 6 and verse 9 where it ends, this too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind, we come to the end of the first half of the book of Ecclesiastes. All the way through these uh, six chapters, uh, the writer has been telling us over and over again that people are chasing the wind. There's a meaninglessness to this life. You, you can't hold it in your hands. It, 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 it's like grasping the wind. 
You can't do it. It doesn't satisfy. It's building sandcastles on the beach that the waves are just going to come and wash away to nothing. This world without God is not good enough. And now tonight he ends this section with a brilliant passage. Men, you know what it's like when you want to tell a girl that you love her. You write her a letter. You write it very neatly. You spray the envelope with perfume. You think carefully about what you're going to say. And if you can, you write it in rhyme, poetry. And if you could write a tune to it, then you get your guitar. And you go round and you stand outside her house and you sing to her outside the window. Well, Solomon isn't writing a love letter, but he is ending the first half of his book and he does make sure he composes this bit very carefully. He's put an awful lot of thought into this. It begins and ends, people lack satisfaction. 5 verses 8 to 12, 6 verses 7 to 9. People lack satisfaction. That's the bracket. Then before each of these end pieces, he has two sections, both describing the evils that stop us from being satisfied. Chapter 5, verses 13 to 7, and chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. And then in the middle, in the center of this section, he tells us how to enjoy life and be satisfied. Chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. And of course, this is the vital truth we need to learn. So I'm going to start looking at the two outside, then the two Bs, and finally the C. So here we are. First of all, people lack satisfaction. And first of all, verses chapter 5, verses 8 to 12, all people lack satisfaction. Is it coming up? Look, yes, all types of people lack satisfaction. The poor lack satisfaction. Look at verses 8 to 9. I wonder if this is the next slide. Have I got another slide? Yes, there we are. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things, for one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by or the king himself profits from the field. So the poor are oppressed. They are often exploited, robbed, suffer injustice. Just think of the tall puddle martyrs from down our way in Dorset in the 19th century. Five of the six tall puddle martyrs, first trade unions we're told, they were keen evangelicals, Methodist lay preachers. They had about... <laughs> Ten, family, ten children in each family, and they were starving. They had been promised a pay rise of about one penny a day. But instead of this, the lord of the manor, James Frampton, had reduced their wages. They were starving, they were offered a pay rise of a penny a day, and they got a wage decrease of about a penny a day. So George Lovelace and the other uh, Toll Puddle guys, they agreed together to refuse to work unless they got their promised wages. 
Well, James Frampton took them to court and accused them of having made an illegal oath, which they hadn't. A secret oath was only illegal in the Navy to stop people becoming mutineers. But he was a wealthy landowner, and the law courts were on his side. And these six men were taken from their families, transported to work as slaves in a living death in Australia, and their families were left to starve. Because they were poor, they were victimized and abused. Life is never fun for the poor. Just go into the third world today. But the rich lack satisfaction, verses 10 to 12. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. John D. Rockefeller. There's a funny story about John D. Rockefeller because when he died, he left a fortune worth in today's money of 120 billion pounds. All the press descended on the Rockefeller mansion and a tramp was seen leaning against the Rockefeller gate crying. And a policeman went up to him and said, you're not one of Rockefeller's relatives, are you? He said, no, that's why I'm crying. <laughs> Yet Rockefeller himself wasn't satisfied with his 120 billion. He was once asked, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Not satisfied. Solomon understood this. In, in verse uh, 10, he says, riches don't satisfy. In verse 11, he says, uh, riches bring a load of sponges along. And in verse 12, he says, riches rob you of sleep. And then Solomon ends this section saying the same thing in chapter 6, verses 7 to 9. He says, people lack satisfaction. In verse 7, he says there, your desire is never satisfied. Everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. Um, money is like salt water. I think I have another slide here. Yeah, that's right. Money is like salt water. The more you have, the more you want and crave. It doesn't satisfy. Next, it doesn't make you better than a fool. Verse 8. What advantage have the wise over fools? What do the poor gain by knowing how to conduct themselves before others? All your wealth doesn't make you better than a fool. Alexander the Great learned this because his friend, the philosopher Diogenes, was in the fields looking at a pile of old human bones. And Alexander the Great asked him what he was doing. And Diogenes explained that he was trying to distinguish between the bones of your father and the bones of your slaves. You can't do it. Riches may send you to a better school, may give you a better table to eat off, may mean you can be driven to your burial in a better hearse, but they don't make you a better person. Indeed, verse 9, the poor can be better off than the rich. Better what the eyes see than the roving of the appetite. 
this too is meaningless for chasing after the wind. This is the guy from Man versus Food, if you recognize him. You see, the poor may be used and exploited, but at least he can enjoy the little that he's got. But not the rich, always wanting something different. The rich are like the man who has just eaten a huge dinner in the restaurant and is totally full and then sits down at another restaurant and is asked to order another meal. And he just doesn't want any of it. But a hungry man would enjoy any of it if he could get it. But the rich, who's just so sated with everything, can't enjoy it at all. Generally, people are not satisfied. Okay, people lack satisfaction. Let's move in to the middle bits a bit. Secondly, the evils that cause dissatisfaction, chapter 5, 13 to 17, and chapter 6, 1 to 6. It's not simply, you see, it's not simply that riches can't satisfy. Riches can't satisfy, but also there are grievous evils around which spoil everything. You see, it's like having a cream tea in a beauty spot in Devon, and it starts to rain, and the farmer is out muck spreading, and the smell is foul, and the, beat, and the bench you sit on gives you splinters, and the family at the next table are having a fight. Not only can the cream tea not satisfy you, but other things ruin it. And such is life, says Solomon. First of all, chapter 5, verses 13 to 15, the tragedy of wealth. First of all, verse 13, it is hoarded to your hurt. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. In 2002, John Whitaker won the Powerball lottery in America. 314 million 900 thousand dollars. That's 200 million pounds in our money. And yet in the next 10 years, he lost all his children who died of drug abuse. He himself was arrested and tried and died. And all this despite giving 10% to Christian churches. His wife says, she wishes he had torn up the ticket. You can hoard it to your hurt. Or, verse 14, you can lose it to the hurt of your family. Or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. And ultimately, verse 15, you have to leave it anyway. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. And as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hand. Just ask Tutankhamun. Which leads us naturally to, secondly, the tragedy of death. Verses 16 and 17. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. Remember Edgar Allan Poe's The Pick and the Pendulum? Your life ticking away and the sword getting nearer 
your life in your dungeon. The only way life is bearable is to forget that one day you will die and kid yourself, kid yourself or entertain yourself or distract yourself away from reality. But reality has a way of knocking on the door of your mind and waking you up. And one day you won't wake up. And that day is one year closer for us, one year closer for us than it was last year. It's like an express train hurtling towards you. Well, we now move on to tragedies, from tragedies to emptiness. We see, thirdly, you can't guarantee to enjoy what you have. Chapter 6 now, verse is 1 and 2. I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor, so that they lack nothing their hearts desire, but God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them. And strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless a grievous evil. You can't guarantee to enjoy what you have. This is one of the key lessons of Ecclesiastes. And this is where our Western society is completely wrong. You see, having wealth, having abundance is not the same as enjoying wealth and enjoying abundance. You can have all good things, verse 2, and yet not enjoy them. Luke Pittard here won 1.3 million pounds in the lottery. He went on luxury holidays, etc. And in the end, he felt so miserable that he went back to Wales and his old job at McDonald's. He was happier there. You see, having things does not mean enjoying them. We need God to give us the ability to enjoy things. God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them. And so we see, fourthly, in chapter 6, verses 2 to 6, that you can't necessarily enjoy your family. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. You can have a great family, and you can live to a great old age. But if you don't enjoy these things, you are worse off than a stillborn baby. This is why in our country, wealthy people are more likely to commit suicide than poor people. Because the poor people think, if only I get wealth, I will be happy. But the rich people realize that that's not true. So what's the solution? Thirdly, Enjoy life and be satisfied with God. The central section, chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. And here, in this very important paragraph, Solomon tells us three things. Look at it here. Accept life as a gift from God. Verse 18, this is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun, during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Then, verse 19, live life with God's help. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, 
That's right. Set their lot and be happy in their toil. This is a gift of God. And finally, live for God's glory. Verse 20. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Do you notice how suddenly we've moved from money to God? Money doesn't satisfy, but God does. I used to have a tape of Gypsy Smith singing. I wish I hadn't lost it. But Rodney Smith, as he was, was born in a gypsy caravan in Epping Forest. His mum died of smallpox when he was a little boy, and his dad was in and out of prison. But in prison, one day, his dad was converted. And when he came out of prison to their gypsy caravan, Rodney was 13 years old, and he started to learn about Jesus Christ. And when he was 16, he was converted. They were as poor as poor could be. And yet they had found the love and forgiveness of God. And Gypsy Smith would go around singing. And one of his favorite songs that I had on this tape was about Jesus Christ. And he sang, He satisfies me so. He satisfies me so. Gypsy Smith was poorer than a church mouse. But Jesus Christ satisfied him so. You see, satisfaction is a gift from God. So first of all, verse 18, accept life as a gift from God. It may feel as if your life is just toilsome labor, but it is the life that God has given you to live. It's the life that God has chosen you to have. It's... It, and when you're doing what God has created you for and created you to do, you will not just eat and drink, but you will find satisfaction in your toilsome labor because you are doing what God has created you to do in the will of God, in the strength that God gives. It might not be ecstatically happy, but you will know that you are fulfilling God's plan for your life. And one day he will say, well done. Here is a very important lesson. Don't chase after the job that's going to give you the most money. Find God's will for your life and follow that. For only there will you find satisfaction. Secondly, verse 19, live life with God. It is God who enables you to enjoy worldly possessions. Just as it is knowing Christ that makes you suffering and, uh, and hardship bearable so that you can still rejoice in our sufferings and sing in the furnace, so it is walking with God that enables us to enjoy all good things. Now, the, the modern man doesn't want to follow Jesus Christ. He thinks that Jesus Christ is a spoil sport. Jesus will spoil his sex life. Jesus will spoil his getting rich quick plans. God will spoil his treading over the opposition. But Jesus doesn't spoil your life. He gives us life in all its fullness. And in order to give us life, he spoiled his own life. He sacrificed himself. And he takes our sin and our suffering and our separation from God. And he gives us his spirit. And when we walk with him, we can enjoy all good things. 
There's that famous old hymn by George Robinson, Loved with Everlasting Love. Verse 2 says, Heaven above the sky is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue. That's every color, every shade. Something lives in every hue. Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs o'erflow. Flowers with deeper beauty shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am his and he is mine. Joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. In 1956, Jill Briscoe was 22 years old and she was a youth worker in Manchester. A teenager who came to her youth work had been arrested for rape and assault. So she rushed round to the police station to talk to him. She could only speak to him with all the policemen watching. And she told him how disappointed she was with him. But God could forgive him. God can't forgive me, the lad replied. So Jill explained the gospel to him. Christ loved him so much that Christ had died for the very sins they were going to send him to prison for. After a while, Jill asked him if he wanted to receive Christ as his Savior, and he said yes. So while all the policemen laughed, she got down on her knees and prayed with him in the cell. She said, the angels were rejoicing and the police were scoffing. When she finished, she was told the chief of police wanted to see her. So trembling, she went to his office. He asked why she bothered with such a hopeless scum. She explained because he wasn't hopeless scum. Because God had made him, Christ had died for him, and the Holy Spirit could give him new life. The police chief said, I suppose you think I need your Jesus to save me. Jill gulped and said, she believed everybody needed her Jesus. That is why he had experienced death for everyone. He laughed at her, and she said she went home feeling like a spanked child. The next day, her family was shocked when the phone rang at dinner time, and she was asked to come to the police station. And there, to her surprise, the chief of police said he wanted to know how Jesus could be his saviour. And there, in the same police station, she got down on her knees, this time with the police chief, and he prayed for forgiveness. And the angels started rejoicing again. Life isn't ruined or spoilt by Jesus. It only begins to be worthwhile when we start to live with Jesus. So we see in verse 20, we must live for God. God keeps us occupied. For when we live with Jesus, we don't live for ourselves. I often ask myself, why are there some miserable, sour Christians? Okay, not many, but there are some. Just look at the person next to you, and they are looking at one. <laughs> not many, but some. And it's because somewhere along the line, they have stopped living for the glory of God and are now living for themselves. Or they've been knocked off balance by their suffering. 
and they're needing time to recover and walk back to rejoicing in Christ. But sin ruins your joy. But turn from your sin and live for the glory of God. And God will keep you occupied with gladness of heart. Some people I know are lactose intolerant. If they eat a cream tea, they get very sick. But they can take some tablets and then they can enjoy the cream tea. And for the people of this world, life does not fully satisfy. At least, if they think about it, they realize it doesn't. If they face reality, they realize it doesn't. The reality of death, the guilt of failure, etc., etc., batters them. There's an empty void in their heart that nothing else can fill. But if they find Jesus Christ as their Savior, he satisfies their soul. And they drink from that living water that Jesus Christ gives. And they find eternal salvation. And then they can enjoy life and see good days. And they can even die with a song in their heart. Because now death brings them to glory. Jesus transforms everything. So I encourage every one of us, examine our own hearts and make sure that Jesus is your Savior. Like that chief of police, humble yourself and receive Christ Jesus as Lord and begin 